podcast in your ears. This is an important podcast. We are going to make you listen to us. To all of our thoughts, you're going to listen to our thoughts, or you will not have ears. All right, you're not going to use that, are you? Nah, I might as well. All right, uh, welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. And I, oh, yeah, I'm Andrew. And I guess who's not with me is Andrew. No, he's here. Um, all right, so this is going to be kind of an interesting discussion because um, this very term that we're going to bring up to you is something which um, has is, is kind of like what I call a critical buzzword. It's something that, as a reviewer, I've found that you can basically throw in and very quickly give someone an impression of what a movie is. Like or what Tour de Force. Or quintessential. There we go. This, that's one of those words that I've I've used in the or, past, and I've been here, embarrassed to use. Well, here's a term. Elegantly shot. El- <laughs> elegantly shot. <laughs> it's interesting that we're, before we bring this up, uh, I was listening to a very long interview with William Friedkin. Yeah. Um, and he brought up how he really hates the word interesting. Like he he when he wrote his memoir he went uh, he did a rough he did a first draft and he went back through it to take out every time he wrote down the word interesting because huh. he was like that's uh, that's, that's a good idea yeah because I guess interesting is one of those words like very or stuff yeah like and I t- I've tried to tell my students don't use the word very if you can help it because you're not you know I like you very much well what does that say well it's better than saying I like you much I like you muchly. Yeah, see, right, maybe terrible. that doesn't work. Uh, I like you this much. No, right, it doesn't but work. Ja- da- but the Jack's point is, bad teaching aside, there's a word that gets thrown around a lot in movie reviews called pretentious. Yeah, and we've used that, and I've used that word in the past too. We it's used it in our last review, in our uh, trailer blitz. Yes, when we talked about uh, the trailers for Zardoz and Southland Tales, which you know, for those of you who haven't seen those movies, those are what we might call the quote carte blanche movies where a director kind of was given reign to do anything that he wanted to do. And so John Borman and Richard Kelly respectively made movies that, you know, came out of the, the deep solar plexus of their brains, I guess you could say. Um, but let's look up before I even go this, here's the, um, here's the dictionary definition of pretentious. Um, I love dictionaries. Yeah. Go buy a dictionary sometime. Or you can find a dictionary online, too. Um, the dictionary definition of uh, of the word, attempting to impress by affecting greater importance, talent, culture, etc., than is actually possessed. Uh, quote, you know, in quotes, for example, a pretentious literary device. Right. So, you know, and you know, you can use other words and I've I've tried to use other words like up over, my own ass. <laughs> yeah, overblown, ostentatious, uh extravagant. Uh here's a here's a pretentious way of saying pretentious, grandiloquent. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever meet somebody who uses grandiloquent in a sentence, just punch that person in the nose. I but I think yeah, there's that old old idea of I can't tell you what porn is, but I know it when I see it. That's a good that's, w- that's a good way of putting that's it. That's kind of the way I feel sometimes about a pretentious movie. It's hard for me to point to something and say why something is pretentious. Yeah, but you can usually it's something you usually feel. Well, it's something that I I sometimes feel bad for it depends on the filmmaker and sometimes 
I don't feel bad for somebody who is, quote, pretentious. But sometimes a filmmaker will be trying to do something, and they'll be really trying to do something different from the heart. Again, the word, you know, it's even mentioned in that definition, uh, the idea of attempting to impress um, or being ambitious. You know, when you see something like Southland Tales, that was an ambitious movie. Oh, yeah. You know, he was trying to do something which... You know, artists, you know, film filmmakers, directors who really want to try to express something unique, they're always there's always that danger of dancing over the line into doing something which is much more for yourself, or not even so much that, but the danger of I'm doing this project that I am so passionate about that I'm kind of losing sight of what the audience will actually respond to. Well, I think that's more of an idea of self-indulgence. But that can go hand-in-hand with pretentious. I don't think that they are really... I don't feel like they're two sides of the same coin. Hmm. Self-indulgent is... It's it's exactly what it sounds like. You're indulging what you want as a creator. That, you know, this is something that appeals to me. Uh, It's kind of like... Steven Spielberg doing 1941. (laughs) This is an era that. Well, you could say that is overblown. This is my, uh, you know, this is this is a project of mine that I really love. I'm gonna just go all out and not have any regrets. See, I don't know. I think you could say in in its way that 1941 is pretentious. I don't think so. It is self-indulgent. You, I will never deny that 1941 is self-indulgent, but it's not pretentious. Hmm. And I think what. If you're a pretentious film, let's go back to our most recent film where we talked about that. Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Batman versus Superman is pretentious. Well, it's because... it's a lot of those other words. Yeah. It's overblown. It's grandiose. It's it's those things because it tr- it feels like that it's trying to impress the audience by throwing around all like Lex Luthor speeches about gods and like Batman saying do you bleed? You will. And well, that, I don't know if that's so much. That's not really pretentious. That's more just trying to have a badass moment in a movie and kind of flopping around. Yeah, uh, and, it ha- and it throws around all these speeches about like this is what devils are, or this is what happens when gods fight, and you're like, no. <laughs> Batman versus Superman threw around all these portentous yeah. lines. About like things like gods and about man and things like that, and, but but there was no bedrock to support any of that. It was reaching for some like high high minded ideal, yeah. while the rest of the film didn't support any of it. Yeah, um, yeah, that that is a danger that can happen with a movie, which um, again, and, and in that case too, you have filmmakers who were going into that project. Uh, thinking, oh man, we have a movie with Batman and Superman. They're going to fight each other. You know, we already got the audience. Let's, you know, make something really important. You know, we're not just making a comic book movie. We're making the movie about these guys. And that's the danger. We have talked a lot about Batman Let's, let's move on, though. Tonight. So let's go on to different I, films. I wanted to actually mention before we go that much forward, when I was doing a little bit of research before the show about... Uh, you know, using that the sort of quote word pretentious. Um, there's actually a website from England called Pretentious O Meter. Really? Yeah, and uh, and I'll even show it to you as we're recording, where um, it's pretentious 
uh, O meter, and there are two little marks between o, pretentious and O and meter. Co.uk, and you can apparently type in a film and find an example to find out whether the film is quote pure cheese or sophisticated fromage. All right, uh, let, let me think of a film. Yeah, let's let's try this out while we're on while we're recording. All right, let's do signs. Ooh, M. that's M. a good Shyamalan. one. Signs is given a 53% pretentious meter. So that means it's like 50% pretentious? It's average. Like, it says, it, it even gives you, like, what happens is if you type in a movie, it'll give you a percent, which um, it has a diff- it has kind of like a middle ground where, on the one hand, it's 100% mass market, and on the other hand, it's 100% very pretentious. And in the middle, 0% is consensus. Oh. And so 53% percent pretentious it comes with the line, critics like this one a lot more than the audience does. In general, people think it's all right. Okay. Which I guess is fine. Whereas if we type in, in the same, we're talking about M. Night Shyamalan, if we type in Lady in the Water, we come up with a percentage of, and let me see right here, um, is it nothing coming up here? Huh. Like I was trying to just type in this, uh, Lean the water. Um, Don't worry, this will all get cut out in the edit. No, no, no. Well, yeah. Well, well, the point is, is that this. Oh, actually, it's interesting. If you go using a different metric, it has thirty-three percent mass market with signs. What does that even mean? I don't know. Uh, it said it wasn't found. Uh, I, I have no. I have no clue. Oh, oh, here it is. Oh, lean the water. This is weird. Oh, wait, wait. It, it has 93% mass market. It says, get your dungarees, ma. This one's made for the commoner. In general, people don't like it. What? But I don't even get how that works. Lane the Water is a very pretentious movie. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, we're it's talking all about, about... I mean, you could say, this is... I think this is a film that's both self-indulgent and pretentious. Yeah, it gets the dreaded, you know, one-two punch of a movie which, by the way, you know, is a movie that singles out critics yeah as villains like bob balaban plays this character in the movie who is this uh very stuffy film critic who is seen as one of those characters in a horror movie or fantasy movie who you don't like yeah and is actively written to be like that and and yeah of course it's also a movie where m night Shyamalan casts himself as a writer who will save the world yeah and yeah, I, but that it's just a miserable experience. Right, it's self indulgent in that way. It's M. Night Shyamalan's casting himself as this great, this great uh, writer, okay. and then you know taking on his critics. But then it's put within the framework of this alleged bedtime story, right. where where it's like M. Night Shyamalan is trying to. Mm-hmm. Just go back to like simple storytelling. This is gonna be like a fairy tale, which a fairy tale that I will tell my children. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, before I'm not going to type any more titles into this, but there's actually another article which is that lists uh, the most pretentious films as provided by the data from this site, and it's kind of weird because it lists three movies which I don't really see as. I mean, maybe one of these you could argue, but like, here are the three films that critics love but leave the average film goer cold. Now, I think that's the metric that this site is supposed to be using. Okay. Uh, Sideways is listed as 99%. Have you seen Sideways? I've seen parts of it. Sideways is a very entertaining movie. I don't know why it's on this list. I mean, I remember funny things about it. I mean, I, you know, it says that 
this comedy drama about a late in life bachelor taking a wine tasting road trip got rave reviews from critics. Members of the public were less keen. What does that have to do? I, like, I that that for... depends on what like audiences you're looking. At. I think I have to disagree with this uh, this site's definition this of pretentiousness. Metric... Okay. I mean, just because there's a gulf between what critics thought of a movie and what the public thought of the movie uh, doesn't really make it pretentious. Yeah. Well, the other two movies, like nine, Sideways, is a 99 percent. Lost in Translation has an 87 percent, and then Hugo, uh, Martin Scorsese's Hugo, has a 73 percent. Really. Which I don't get that. Hugo was a hit. Like, it made some... Like, people liked seeing that movie. Like, you can't use Rotten Tomatoes reviews in your metric system. You know, I, I don't think that's really fair. I don't know. I think these websites... Maybe really... this might have not been the best thing to go to, but I thought it was interesting <laughs> if there's a whole website... This was all your idea, Jack. I know, I know, I know. But it, it's, a, it's an interesting experiment. Maybe it wasn't totally something that I would go do more than once. But... Here's the thing, though, about is even using the word pretentious. I know we just talked about this at the start of the discussion. Is it overused? Well, I think the problem is is that when you say something is pretentious, you, you're making a value judgment about it. Yeah. Now, I mean, as a critic, you're supposed to say you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to say that this movie is worth your time, or it's not, or it, it, it's. It's it's artistic or it's just kind sure. of schlock. Yeah. But the thing is, when you say that something is pretentious, that's very subjective. It can be, especially because you know one critic might not be the same as a certain audience member. Um, a key thing, like here's a good example of something. So I, you you could say that you know a char- characters were undeveloped, or you can say that the plot didn't flow, or you could say that the shots were really weird or and and not well planned out, or that the editing was weird. Those are things that have a certain amount of objectivity to them. Yeah. You, you you know you might have more experience like saying these things, but you can kind of point out like a bad shot or a bad performance or something like that or a bad script. Yeah. I but when you say something pretentious, you're talking about the film's intentions, mm-hmm. and you're talking about how uh, well it sort of pulled those off. Well, that, here, that, that here's here's means a here's a good question. Uh, an opinion. Here's a good question for you though, and this was something that I kind of came up in my research, and I thought would be a good match point. Do you think that the word pretentious could be applied to bad filmmaking as well as good filmmaking? Well, certainly. Like I mean, you know, and I think that is actually a, a good question to think about because, like, and I thought about this with the uh, with Terrence Malick, some of his movies. I mean, I know you've ju- I know you've only seen Badlands, right? Right. Now, a number of his other movies, if you see like something like Tree of Life. Or his most recent movie, Night of Cups, which I think I talked about yeah, not too long ago. Yeah, I remember ago. you talking about that. Those are movies which I actually find kind of rewarding as really doing something different, as you know, experimental cinema, trying to think, use cinema in a more philosophical way or even a poetic way to express certain ideas and feelings about life. And I can also say that it is pretentious. Like that's a case where, you know, you. If, but the thing is, if you use that for certain audience members, will take that like a dog whistle. Like, oh, I don't want that. Yeah. You know. So I think that might be the danger is that the word can be used effectively, but if you overuse it or you kind of throw it around in a way that it almost doesn't mean anything, that's when it gets to be something possibly troublesome. 
I have. He did the Thin Red Line, didn't he? Yes, he did. All right, I have seen the Thin Red Line. Okay. And Would you say that's a pretentious movie? I didn't know what to think of the Thin Red Line. Okay. I didn't understand what it was. What it was trying to do. Interesting. So I, I really didn't have an opportunity to decide this is pretentious or not. But I mean, based upon what I know about Terrence Malick, mm-hmm. I. Uh, Badlands is pretty straightforward from you know, from yeah. compared to things, but like I have no interest in seeing the Tree of Life. Mm. I really don't have any interest in trying to figure out what Terrence Malick is all about. Yeah, I uh, I don't I can't say really if if he's pretentious or not. I mean, is he trying to impress us with his work? I don't think I sh- so. I think that he is trying to expand how people see cinema i think that is something that's very noble and very daring whether or not it works will depend on the viewer because some people will maybe fall into the kind of groove that so to speak that he's going into with something like tree of life or thin red line um whereas you know a number of people go back and say well badlands his most accessible movie and rightfully so, because it tells a more coherent story than something like Tree of Life. It has where, characters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tree of Life sort of... No, no, no. Well, Tree of Life actually kind of does, but then it also doesn't... I have cops. I don't even know what he was doing. But uh, <laughs> but the point... So I think that it depends. A lot of people ha- will think differently about certain pretentious movies. Like, again, in doing a little bit of research... I found a list which has a, like a wide, varying range of different titles, which I know you would probably disagree with some of these titles. Like on this one guy's list, he put Requiem for a Dream, um, Cosmopolis, <laughs> El Topo. Mm. I is was El just Topo, thinking about uh, is, uh, Now, I know you love El Topo. I do. Is that But is that kind of like Jodorowsky fulfilling something for himself and not really thinking about the audience, but then he might have been thinking, I want to make a spaghetti Western, but how I would do it. I mean, but that, that's the trouble. I mean, ultimately I think when, when you're thinking about pretension, you're trying to get yourself into the head of the filmmaker and figure out what they were trying to do, which is yeah. always kind of perilous. Yeah. It's uh, assuming importance. Now, unless a film director, uh, unless a director has said, this is what I was trying to do with this film. You can see whether or not they've succeeded. Yeah. And, you know, depending on how badly or how closely they failed, you could say, well, this person was trying to do this high-minded thing, but they absolutely had no idea what they were doing. That's pretension. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah, I think we've, I think in the time that, uh, um, that we were, um, uh, we're so angry about this, we're spitting. Um, the uh, and I know that we've probably even had times over the years where we watched movies together and like you know for like bad movie night and we've gotten the kind of you know worst kind of bad movie which is you know the bad like here's a good question we recently watched that when we talked about that movie Double Down is that remind a... me of what Double Down is. <laughs> Neil Breen's movie where he's in the mountains by Las Vegas. And he's oh, eating lots yeah. of tuna out of the car and wow. you know making the... I forgot the title of that film. <laughs> you've tried you've blocked it out of your memory, and I'm giving you bad movie flashbacks. Yeah. Well <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we just watched that not too long ago. Wow. But okay. 
<laughs> that's going, a, that's the going worst by kind of what I thought of Double Down when I saw it. That is certainly a pretentious film. <laughs> yeah, it's an awful film, mm. but it's certainly pretentious. Ooh, here's a good one: The Room. The Room is pretentious. Oh God, because you, there you had a filmmaker in Tommy Wiseau who literally thought he was making Citizen Kane and Streetcar Named Desire and Rebel Without a Cause and Talented Mr. Ripley all in one package. Yeah. I mean, and, and a and man who had, who had absolutely no idea what he was doing. Yeah. Now, it, now he had end, luckily had some talented people working with him. And, and in the end, he's had the last laugh because the room is now just a giant cult hit. But that doesn't, I don't think that makes it any less pretentious <laughs> than we, than it is. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, again, it's, uh, I get, I think the one danger is if you dismiss a movie because of it. Like, even like 2001, I've, I've seen people over the years say that movie is pretentious. And I'm not sure that is, that might be something that's more dependent on the viewer. Who yeah. Comes to I mean, it. I personally would disagree with that. Because I, would I think too. 2001 has a lot to offer. Yeah, it does have a lot to offer. I mean, even though that last segment of it is, is really kind of, uh, it really goes well, off the rails. Well, it's not even so much about that. It might it might be more so about the fact that the movie it you know it doesn't move like you would expect a movie to usually move. It take you know when you watch somebody move in space, there's no time. You know they don't really spend any time speeding up the story or, or the, the technique. You're just watching a guy in space doing things very very slowly. Yeah, I think that might be more so what people. And maybe even yeah, the Star Child at the end is something that people probably look at and go, "What the hell?" I mean, two thousand one is a very restrained film. Yeah, I mean, it's like every action and every line that the actors deliver is 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 being held back. Same thing with Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Wow, I hadn't actually thought about it that way before. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, does it? Well, and again. I mean, if you're talking about pretension, you're talking about the artist's intentions. Yes. So, I mean, what's Stanley Kubrick intending to do with 2001 A Space Odyssey? Mm-hmm. I mean... He was trying to make a... Unless you know, he's actually... He was, act- he was yeah. trying to make, a, a like, a science fiction movie that used... That took space seriously and real as realistically as he could with the tools he had at the time. Yeah, and 2001 certainly has its sci-fi chops. And I don't mean, like, sci-fi as in, you know, uh, rocket ships and ray guns and, yeah. uh, you know, fighting aliens and craters. I mean, we're talking some pretty hard sci-fi. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, and ter- if if that's his goal, then you know he he knocked it out of the park. I mean, yeah, I don't he, think well, anyone, he and Clark. Yeah, he and Arthur C. Clark. I mean, it's it's worth noting. noting. That. It wasn't all Cooper. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was in large part him. But I think yeah. So I guess it's all a matter of how you're looking at yeah filmmakers' intent. Again, when we mentioned Lee in the water, his intent was to bash critics in a way, and yet. Like and in a way, it goes back also to Batman versus Superman too. This idea that Snyder decided, well, all right, my critic, you know, I had critics on Man of Steel who said that, you know, Superman destroying the city at the end of the movie was too harsh. Nah. You know, I'll show them. I'll show them people reacting to the destruction, which was fine at first, but then later on, it's just you didn't learn from your mistakes. And and if we go to, back to what was it called? 
darn, I forgot the movie that double we mentioned. Down. No, 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 not Double Down. Bring back again. <laughs> I mean, uh, Lady in the Water, okay. Shyamalan. Well, I was to mentioning ad- that. Trying to address his critics. Yeah. He's trying to tell his critics how wrong and misguided and foolish they are while producing this laughably bad film. And and oftentimes <laughs> you'll have a filmmaker do that when they don't, you know, they don't have to do that. Like it's it, like if you it's like you're telling Congress how wrong they are while dressed in a clown suit. <laughs> you you're guys, out of order. I'm out of order. Honk honk. The whole system's <laughs> out of order. It's like you guys have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. I am going to throw pies in your face you know and it's when you see when you see shaman like criticizing critics while doing so on this extremely shoddy ground yeah it's this terrible juxtaposition yeah whereas like if i was talking about how like these profound truths about the universe and physics while getting wrong a whole bunch of things like just like (laughs) newton's laws of of motion i mean it's that it's this discord between what you're seeing on film and what the characters are saying. Yeah. I I'm not uh What's something what's another movie that comes to mind for you? Zardoz. Well, we were talking about that before. Yeah. I mean uh, I mean I now, do, now, I do you think though that I can't even guess what Richard Don uh, Not Richard no, no, John Borman. John Borman. Why do I get those two confused sometimes? I don't know. That's, John that's Borman. Weird to get confused. I I I'm not sure what he was trying to say in Zardoz. I mean it might have been that he was trying to say nothing, but well, there, but everything else in the movie makes it seem like he's trying to say something about what it means to be human and you know what society is all about and how people view sex and violence. Yeah, I guess because about the penis and the gun. And yeah, why is why stuff. it's important for all these masked men to shoot people? Yeah, and then for like all the women to use up men and like ah oh, god. Uh, I mean, you could chalk up some of that to it being the 70s. Right. Um, you know, it, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that is another good example. But here's a film that I think, I mean, we talked about films that don't necessarily deserve the, the moniker of pretentious because maybe they've aged better. All right, a film that kind of got lambasted in its day <laughs> was Disney's Fantasia. Hmm. And you it, think that, that, that could get the moniker? I, it's people certainly considered it that. Hmm. I Walt Disney, he came off of, you know, Snow White. Snow White was his big success. Yeah, and everything he made after that was always got compared to Snow White, and everyone's like, it's no Snow White. Yeah, well, that was the trouble. It even got to the point where, when he made like movies like Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, he had to tell his animators, "We're not making Snow White." Yeah, <laughs> even though it was another fairy tale. Yeah, and then you had, you know, other movies like Dumbo and Pinocchio, things like that, and you know they're getting uh, unfavorably unfavorable comparisons too, even though they're probably his uh, among his best work. Yeah, and then Fantasia comes along, which is something which is very different. It is unlike like it, it's trying to do something, which you know you could even say to make it very grandiose. You could say he was trying to change the form. Yeah, or maybe make it back to. You know, this idea of film being a little bit more pure and, you know, he started in doing cartoons that didn't have to rely on dialogue that just relied on making, you know, simple movement. Yeah. But the, I get, but the, I mean, Disney's big, big, big breakthrough is Steamboat Willie, which is a yeah. which is a successful fusion 
of animation and sound. Yeah. And what is Fantasia but the the marriage of animation and sound? This well, time it, in the form of music. Well, it didn't just come out of nowhere either, though, because he had been for like a decade building up a lot of experience with his animators making those silly symphony shorts. Right. And so by the time he got to Fantasia, he knew what he wanted to do. Uh, it's funny that you're bringing this up, too, because I think I might have told you about the time that I went with my mother and brother to see Fantasia on the big screen. And yeah. this was maybe when I was like six or seven, and this was when they were doing, I guess the last time they did a big theatrical release of the movie. And I don't even remember exactly seeing it or the whole experience, but I've been told that we left like halfway through the movie or even sooner <laughs> because we were bored. And I, I, I'm so shocked to think about like that there was a time I found that movie dull. Or even if I did, maybe my mom was bored and decided there, to get out of there. There's something I remember from when I first saw Fantasia. We like got it on VHS right one year when they had a, like a reissue. And I remember my sister saying, oh, that's the movie where nobody talks. <laughs> and And for me... This was a this was a weird thing because like every cartoon I saw people were talking yeah. you know, every Disney movie it's like oh there are lines in these in yeah. these movies and then think about a, an animated film which is feature length which is episodic but it's all just it's it's, it's some all of it's, and some of it's very abstract. It's all classical music and very abstract. Yeah, at I points. mean, what what was it? Uh, it's a Takata and Fugue. Takata and Fugue, which is, is put to images of just shapes. Yeah, and that and I and I have to admit, as a kid, I guess I was a pretentious kid. <laughs> I I well, you heard it here first. When Andrew was a kid, he literally had his head up his ass. Yeah, I was a hipster kid, and like. Oh yeah, Fantasia's my favorite. No. Yeah, you show uh, up to you show up to class smoking a cigarette like uh, Oh yeah, I saw Fantasia. <sighs> <laughs> I don't like it anymore. It's too mainstream. But yeah. but I really liked that segment. Yeah. Because I never heard the music before and I really loved it. Yeah. And but after after I saw Fantasia, I, I really it was a movie we revisited. Yeah. It wasn't like it was ever boring. We watched it several times. And then there were there was it eventually got to a time when I'd watch it up to almost the end, and then I wouldn't watch the night on Bald Mountain sequence because it was too scary. Huh. <laughs> but you know, I was familiar enough with it that I was like, oh, well, this is really good. It's got really nice music. Yeah. So, but I mean, just the novelty of a of an animated film where there was no talking and there were almost no cartoon characters. Yeah. And you can imagine how difficult it might have been for people to swallow. Back when it was first released. Well, the funny thing is, though, as you as you may know, Fantasia actually was not a success when it first came no, out. No, it, it got it got actually they had like a brief what they call a roadshow presentation, which was the full length two hour version. But then they cut it up to like a, like down to like a ninety minute release, and it was put in like a double bill with some other movie and. Yeah, for a long time, it, it, Fantasia built up its audience. That was a, a different experience than some of the other Disney movies, which were successes right off the bat. Right. Um, and I think the key thing, though, is the fact that Disney was taking a risk with, by making that movie. You could say that categorically, that he knew, like, and not you know, also with the process, the fact that, okay, not only am I going to have you know five or six animated shorts in one movie, that are varying between telling stories like with Mickey Mouse and then not telling stories with the Takata and Fugue or telling a story but with no sound like the uh, 
uh, the the dinosaurs and Stravinsky. Yeah, so he has all that, but also in the presentation, he you could say he was pretentious because he created that thing called Fantasound, yeah. which was like, I'm going to outfit these theaters with super deluxe speakers that line the whole theater. Yes. And basically, I'm going to basically make people's ears bleed through classical which music. Which could have been a big reason for why it wasn't a success. Well, also, I mean, there were only so many theaters that could play it that way. Yeah. And then they had to downgrade it into another uh, form. Yeah, so. it's like if you had to... <laughs> If you had to uh, listen to a record, but only on vinyl. Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone put out a record nowadays, it's like, nope, no iTunes, no no CD release, no, no well, nothing. Well, it's funny that you're mentioning that, because there was this movie that I thought about maybe going to see this week. Uh, it's called Too Late. It's this film noir with uh, this actor, John Hawks. And the, the this release is only in 35mm. The huh. director... And it's oddly enough, it's like a first-time director too. Specified, I do not want any of any of my movies shown on screens that are digital. I do not want my movies shown that way. It will only be screened in thirty-five millimeter, which means it's getting a pretty limited release. Yes, and it's playing maybe like one theater in New York City. Um, which I don't know. Who knows? Maybe the movie will be good. Maybe it won't be good. But yeah, you never know. I mean, that's also a similar thing. I mean, whether like, it's good or not is is one thing. Well, yeah. I mean, you could even say that Christopher Nolan movies are... Do you think he has the P word? I think that's a good... I think he could have that moniker attached to him he, based, on Nolan, some of his, uh, based on some of his scripts. Christopher Nolan approaches pretentiousness. Because mm. I mean, in a lot of the Dark Knight films, they they spend a lot of time... Giving speeches. Giving speeches about what the film is about. When they should instead be pulling back from that and just letting the the story play out. Yeah. You know, when Alfred gives a speech every 15 minutes. Well, in the Dark Knight. Yes. You're Master Wayne. You have to stop being Batman. God, shut up. Yes. Um, And he approaches that, but it never became too ponderous. It never became as bad as it as it became in Man of Steel and mm. and in Batman versus. We keep coming back to Batman versus. Uh, We need to leave that alone. We need to put BVS in its own little BVS corner. And to a certain extent, that happens in films like. uh, Oh, here's a like Interstellar. It gets close to that, but I never felt like it was pretentious. No, I mean. He was also going for something a little bit like Kubrick, but you know he was a little bit more talky in his movie than 2001 was. Yeah, I mean, if you if you put all the words in 2001, uh, they together, don't match up for like they would, you know, they would fit inside of a thimble. Yeah, um, and yet Hal was probably a more compelling character than than Dave Bowman. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what a lot of people commented on the fact that your robot is the most emotional character in your movie. Hmm? Um, but anyway, yeah, so I mentioned Christopher Nolan. Um, I'm trying to think of certain other directors. Uh, I mean, I could say uh, Heaven's Gate, which I know you haven't seen that movie, but I've talked about that in the past. The fact that he decided that, you know, again, it it was discussed in that book, uh, uh, Final Cut, which is just incredibly compelling because of how this director just decided, okay, I have this little Western I want to do about this, you know, series of killings that happen, and it'll be a little, you know, $10, $12 million movie. 
no, you know what? I just made the deer hunter. Screw that. I'm going to make the biggest epic that America has ever seen. Yeah. And, and look what how that turned out. And those, I think that's part of the pitfall of pretentiousness, about the pretentiousness label. Because let's think about Michael Cimino. I mean, he made that film, went over budget, went, uh, you know, over schedule. And in the end, his movie probably wasn't as bad as it, as its reputation would suggest. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a bit overburdened, but still, it's not. Well, everything I hear about it is that it's not awful or and that it you know sometimes it's good i mean it's not great but it's good but when you get so over budget and you spend so much time working on the same film yeah you develop a bad reputation so that by the time your film does premiere people want it to fail i mean that's mm. what happened with Waterworld. Yeah. that's almost that, that's what could have happened with apocalypse now yeah, only somehow he got kind of a great movie out of it. Yes, I mean, God knows how. I mean, we, I think we could chalk that up to Coppola and his simple, you know, Verse, just, just being a great it, filmmaker. Simple sincerity on, on and 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 you know and skill on his part. Yeah, well, I guess even it, though the ending is kind of weird. But, well, I guess, well, I guess it, it kind of comes back, keeps coming back to this idea of, you know, a lot of art involves risk. Yeah. And being an artist, you want to try to take certain risks. Um, but if you seem too audacious in your risks, like Michael Cimino, who had just... I mean, Coppola... What had Coppola done before Apocalypse Now? Are, are, Godfather. Are Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, oh, no. What happened to Andrew? <laughs> Andrew's having a brain aneurysm. Coppola did evening. nothing before Apocalypse Now. I, no, no. But, all right, but what else had he done? Like, just Godfather? Um, God, Godfather, Godfather 1 and 2. 2. All right. He did The Conversation. Oh, The Conversation. He Great. did... Uh, well, I mean, he did the movies before The Godfather. He did. He wrote Patton. Okay. But... And then Michael Chimino, he's only got The Deer Hunter. Okay. Yeah, well, and also he did, like, a movie with Clint Eastwood. Right. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. So if you if you have like one great movie under your belt, like The Deer yeah. Hunter, mm-hmm. and then you say I'm going to make the greatest Western epic yeah. of all time, you look like you have you look full of hubris. Yeah. Well, it's like Brad Dourif was interviewed in this documentary about Heaven's Gate that I saw, and he he said that he he told Chimino at a party, man. This better be really great, or they're going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I, and if you look like you are overconfident and you're like full of hubris, people want to see you fail. Well, okay, also it's, going back to our first, you know, Southland Tales. Yeah. You have a guy coming off of a movie which became this cult phenomenon. Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that Southland Tales ruined Richard Kelly's career or anything. He made another movie after that, which right. I rather liked, called The Box. Uh, but he hasn't really done. He hasn't had that steady career. Another movie like that. That oh my god, why didn't I think of this before? Uh, Fantastic Four, oh, the new yeah. one by Josh Trank, where you're gonna take Marvel's first family. You're gonna take this group that involves uh, a guy whose arms stretch really far and a girl turns invisible and a guy who's a rock, rock monster, man. a rock man and a guy who is a hot rodden teenager who goes, you know, sets him, you know, gets on fire and can be, you know, full, throw flames. And you're going to make it as serious as the serious as cancer. <laughs> you're going to like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to make a movie that's 
like I feel like I'm watching Son of Saul, the the Holocaust movie set in Auschwitz, and I. That's a case where I think that the studio kind of realized maybe just a few weeks in, oh boy, we got a pretentious filmmaker on our hands. We got a guy trying to make a Fantastic Four movie and thinks he's David Cronenberg. Well, I think the the other trouble is, is, but I mean, that's, that's one situation where Fox kind of picked this guy up. I mean, well, he'd done Chronicle before that and that was a success. Right. And they thought, well, he made this movie which kind of involved superheroics and, you know, young people and their relationships. Let's throw him and make him Fantastic Four. But he, there was also a case where, like with Snyder and Superman, where it didn't really seem like he got what made Fantastic Four so special. Um, you know, and that's and that's not like with... Uh, I, th- I think that's simply a matter of someone who doesn't really understand the material. Uh, yeah, that, well, there that is happens that happens in all sorts of films, not just superhero ones. We got to get, uh, you know, it's not just a superhero thing. Oh no, no, if no, no! It can be yeah. in a major movie. I mean, even something which is very well meaning. A lot of Oscar bait movies we yes. could say are pretentious. Uh, Crash, ah, <laughs> a movie which aims to not just be about racism. It aims to be the movie about racism. Yes, we're gonna shove all this stuff into a movie and have scenes where ludicrous and I forget who the other actor are, have these deep conversations about, about race, about, about the difference between rap and country music. Yes. Which was actually, one of that, the that more, was actually, that, that was, was one of the more entertaining scenes in that. Film. Yeah. I think just cause I enjoyed seeing those you know what actors. Else I, you know what else I love about that pair? Mm. It's like ludicrous. He complains about like how, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sandra Bullock. Uh, holds on to her husband more t- more tightly when he when she passes the two black guys. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, why she got when we pass her by? Why she got to hold on onto her husband so tightly? It's like yeah. because we have guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that 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 part's fine. But there are but other also parts it, of that movie where it's just no. Oh God! <laughs> I saw that movie before. Uh, uh, I kind of got into film, okay. So I didn't quite understand the idea that the the crane shot and saying no was. <laughs> <laughs> you was, just thought that was a thing that movies do. That was just a thing. Okay. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Or but yeah. So, get, so but, crash. Or uh, you you get though I'm saying by that. Or like uh, again, I haven't seen. Have you? Uh, here's a movie which I've heard is a little bit pretentious in a way, although I haven't seen it. And we could just go back to Kevin Costner, Dances with Wolves. Hmm, I haven't seen it. I hear that it might be a good movie. Uh, I think it gets some slack because you know it wins Best Picture over Goodfellas, mm. which is one of the crimes of humanity of the 20th century. But uh, <laughs> you know, and also like how how A Beautiful Mind won over Mulholland Drive. Well, that was expected. I mean, mm. Mahone Drive got one nomination as Best Director, and there was—I could just see there was no way Lynch was going to get Best Director. I was—I was pulling for him when I was watching the Oscars that year. I'm like, oh, he's my pick. I want David Lynch to win. It's like, oh, they want Ron Howard, of course. Um, yeah. That no, no, but there are—that's a usual—that's a type of movie which uh, you really get into people who think they're. And again, that might be part and parcel of. Why people? You can make a lot of jokes about the Oscar bait jo- type of movie. Uh, yeah, like uh, the King's Speech. 
which I actually kind of enjoy. I, I really like the King's I, I like the King's Speech, too, but then... Um, oh, the movie, which I'm going to watch this movie soon. I'm still meaning to watch it, is uh, The Danish Girl. I've heard that is a little bit pretentious. Yeah. I, but but that's the the that's again part of the problem of saying something is pretentious. Sometimes a film connects with you, maybe, and and on a very basic level, it's, and maybe we see a lot of films. Yeah, but there aren't always, but they don't always. No matter how good it is, or no matter how bad it is, we have a gut reaction to it. Yeah. Now, my big thing is that I really like Alexander. Mm. Now, you don't see it the way I do. I liked it more after when I saw that final cut, which wasn't really the final cut. But yes. The point is, though, I did and, like it more seeing it again. However, when you first saw it, yeah. it didn't connect to you the way it connected to me. No. Now, on further review, you saw a little more to it. Yeah. However, if someone saw Alexander and didn't connect to it to wh- the way I did, mm. they would probably see that film as very pretentious. And You're... there's a lot about it that could lend itself to pretension. I mean, yeah. Oliver Stone seems to have very lofty goals with Alexander, and uh, sometimes he doesn't meet them. It's almost kind of like, at what point are you making like your master thesis film about Alexander, and at what point are you making a rip-roaring action movie? Yes. It, which is kind of like, I think he was trying for something a little bit more, and here's a layman's term, brainy with that movie. Trying to examine, the, you know, a lot of big, you know, ideas of what Alexander represented in his time. Yeah. And what he was going for with and, conquering most of the world. And I, being a fan of history and a person who's read quite a bit of Alexander, I think he hits the mark very well. Well, you were also going, you were also comparing it to against other movies at the time which we're not doing it so well for you, like, like and we've, Troy and we've talked, and, and we, well, we talked about Ridley Scott movies, as yeah, well. and Ridley Kingdom Scott. of Heaven, which oh, there's a big one for you, Prometheus. Prometheus. There we get into the real p-word, man. I mean, that's where we get into a sci-fi movie, which its aim is to to explore the meaning of life. In all I of its can, dimension. I can say with and then more it becomes, confidence. And then it becomes a movie where a woman has to get a giant, not a giant, a little alien baby out of its, her stomach. Yes. And here's why I'm going to make, I'm going to state my case for Prometheus being pretentious. Okay. I mean, I'm, I, you've talked Prometheus many times. I, I, I may simply be repeating myself, but it's just because it's so easy. Well, some people might have not heard our Ridley Scott podcast. All right. Because Prometheus it's a pretty long one. is a film that I really dislike. Yeah, almost on the gut level. Almost the same, for the opposite reason why you liked Alexander. Yes, even though you can understand why people might not. I might can not like go it. beyond opinion, however, because Prometheus. Again, we're talking about goals versus actual accomplishments. Okay, Prometheus is a film that's that is allegedly about big ideas of where human of where humanity comes from about meeting our creators, about a sort of like an existential journey into the origins of humanity. Yeah. You know, and, you know, things like fatherhood and creation yeah. and, and these ideas about God and things like that. What we get are these characters who don't act like scientists or make any <laughs> intelligent decisions yeah. or 
seem very much interested in making any sort of intelligent analysis about the world around them. Yeah. They reanimate an alien head with electricity for no reason. <laughs> yeah. What what could they possibly accomplish by sticking an electrode in an ancient alien head? Like, was it, were they expecting it to talk? No. Like, uh. all right. <laughs> and I could go on. Like... Yeah. For a film that is supposed to be about such high-minded questions, you yes. have characters who act like idiots. Yeah. You yeah, that that's that's a that's a big problem. Doing that things movie. that even fans of hardcore science fiction like who aren't fans of hardcore science fiction, even if you're just a layman coming to Prometheus and you don't really care about what the movie's trying to say about all these bigger ideas, they'll just go, well, "That was dumb." Yeah, you could point to things that people do in Prometheus and say, why would you do that? That's not logical. Yeah. Oh, the air is breathable? I'm going to take off my helmet. Oh, yeah. never mind bacteria or anything else that might be in the air. It's a, it's a ridiculous script. <laughs> and then it insults you by not giving you any... Like, I didn't expect the meaning of life. No. But I expected the film to come down on some sort of answer. And mm -hmm. Prometheus didn't De didn't even commit to anything <laughs> no not what well, it committed well in the second half of the movie i think it tried to commit a little bit more to being how alien was a kind of sci-fi horror with some more gruesome elements yes but that i felt was it kind of cheapened what it might have been trying to do maybe it made it a little bit more fun for some for some people but uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a. Gr I thought. I think that's a good example to bring up of somebody who, you know, I'm returning to Alien here. I'm gonna make you. I'm. I, my movie's even titled after a figure of major importance. Yes. You know, it's a. Uh, oh man. <laughs> I, mean, I think I'm making your head hurt. Prometheus. By about that. I. I... I want to get. I want to stop talking about. Prometheus. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. Even but, though it feels fun, it isn't. No, it, it's it's kind of like it's one of those things where you. That was a movie where you would really. I don't know. Did you go in just without talking about the movie itself? Did you go in hoping it was good? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I saw it. I'm like, oh, Prometheus. I should. I should see this. It's it's you know like Alien and Ridley Scott did it, and I'm like, okay, this is something I should see. And the first viewing, I realized how, how how much of a piece of garbage it was. <laughs> you didn't even need to watch any of the videos asking questions. Logic, like the, the, oh, I've know. tried to watch those to see what people see in Prometheus, and I don't understand. Uh, yeah, but all right. So let's let's move on from that. Again, okay. we talked about a lot of different movies so far. Um, I again, for me personally, again, it's going to depend on what person is seeing what. Um, I mean, I'll often, as a moviegoer, I'll try to find something that I like that isn't necessarily uh, a movie that is uh, that that is not that, that there's something of value. And, you know, like again, when I watched the I watched a movie called Cosmopolis a while back, and that's a David Cronenberg movie um, that is it's supposed to be about like this guy who's spending a whole day in his limo going through New York city. And he's this super rich guy who we don't really know quite what he's doing. And he has some type of 
work that we're never really told outright what he does. And then he's visited by people who keep coming into his limo as he's riding along. <laughs> and like, and then at one point he gets like, he gets a prostate exam and all he's there, which is one of the highlights of the movie. Literally the movie has a scene where somebody gets their head up their ass. Um, and even with that movie, which is really a load of garbage for most of the movie, because it tries to say all these profound things about the economy and rich people versus poor people and extremism and all these things. In the last 20 minutes of the movie, Paul Giamatti shows up. And unlike Lady in the Water, here Paul Giamatti does save the movie. Great. So, again, I, I, will, tr I will always try to be fair and open for something. That's why, like... I went through a whole period in college and then also afterward where I was watching Jean-Luc Godard movies. And I don't mean like, you know, he made movies in the 60s that a good number of people seen stuff like Breathless or Band of Outsiders or Alphaville. Those are the movies that a lot of film school students made. I ended up digging deeper and watching movies like his movie King Lear, where I might have talked about that on the podcast before, but that's the movie that he made a deal with the Canon films people on a napkin at Cannes and didn't know what he was going to do for it. So he got together Woody Allen and Burgess Meredith and Molly Ringwald and made a movie, which is just, ugh, I see the way that you feel about yep. Prometheus. I'm almost hurting thinking about King Lear because I watched it and I felt like I was kind of living through a waking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Like I want to see rarities. that on the King Lear box cover. <laughs> uh, you see my quote, an unqualified nightmare. That's our, that's our other segment, along with album covers. <laughs> it's redoing the boxes with quotes from the podcast. <laughs> I'd love to see more filmmakers like take bad reviews and put them on their movie poster as like a sign of pride. That's Which, like... Um, well, David Lynch did it with Lost Highway. He put two thumbs down yeah. on the poster. That's like Norman Mailer with uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance. Oh, with the, the, the trailer where yeah. he uh, read all the bad reviews. Um, yeah, it's basically oh. doubling down on, on your on your mm. crappy movie and just rolling with it. Speaking of which, I don't know, would you say that's a pretentious movie? Tough Guys Don't Dance? Yeah. I don't well, know what the hell that movie is. Tough Guys Don't Dance is hard to pin down. Because... Well, I think that he was trying to make a film noir, but or write a film noir, because it was also a book. Yeah. But it was also such a jumbled mess. Uh, an entertaining jumbled mess, as far as I remember. Oh, no, no, I, no. I, he, he, wasn't, he was certainly engaged with what he was doing. Yeah, um, I, I think. But it's just a matter of... What was he doing that made sense? I, mean, I guess you could say that. I mean, when it, if we're if we're talking about pretentious as you know, missing your mark on on what you're trying to do and missing spectacularly, yeah. certainly tough guys don't dance uh, meets that criterion. But I, as far, if you go by the rule of bad movies, it's so bad it's good only because of how sincere you are. Yeah. Then it's like. Yeah, it's pretentious, but he also really, really believed in it. So it's now it's now hilarious. Well, it's, well going back to Shyamalan for a second, uh, you know, I mean, he, yeah, he made Lay in the Water, but that didn't stop him from making The Happening, where we have... No, it um, certainly didn't stop him. 
where we have a movie where Mark Wahlberg talks to a plant as if it's like going to kill him and they run from the wind. Like Ed Wood would not make that movie. You're right. Um, God, I don't know. I, uh, so I don't know. I'm trying to find other things to talk about with this topic. Cause I think we could talk for hours about it, but I think the important thing, if we're going to talk about pretentiousness and like what role it plays in criticism, being overbearing, we have to, I think we have to realize that it is kind of a, it is kind of a trap. What, what do you mean by trap for the it's filmmaker? Tra- no, the it's filmmaker a, or the critic? It's a trap for the critic because yeah. when you criticize something, you have to criticize something concrete. Yeah. You have to point to something which is lacking. You mm. can't just say, I don't like this movie because it's bad. That's simply It's weak. It's it's weak. Yeah. You're you're pointing to a subjective experience as as something which tells you what what uh, quality the film has. Yeah. And pretentiousness is this subjective value judgment. Yeah. I mean, when we say something is pretentious, we are saying it is bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretentiousness is not something people strive towards. No. But simply saying something pretentious usually has it usually points to more of how you think rather than how the film is working. That's a good way of putting it. We've just talked about films that we think are pretentious. We've talked about why we think they're pretentious. Yeah. But we've tried to back up our reasoning. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's a key difference. I think think, if if you just kind of throw out very (laughs) basically, that's pretentious. Well, why? It just is. No, no, really. Why do you think it's pretentious? Yeah, pretentiousness okay. is is like this shortcut, which if you use it too much, I mean, it doesn't tell you anything about the movie. I mean, yeah, insta- I mean, and instead of just saying this is pretentious, you should say this film feels like it tries to do this, but it goes against itself by doing this. Yes. Now that's a better way of describing a movie than simply saying pretentious, because pretentious could mean anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a classic thing that. Uh, um, well, this isn't exactly to say with, with, with pretentious, but another word which is used too much, like overrated, uh, that's a word which gets thrown around a lot by yeah, and that's audiences a, and critics. And that's a word that really has its roots in the time of release of the film. Yeah, about hype itself. Yeah, and about hype, which doesn't last forever. No. I mean, films eventually escape their own hype, for better or for worse. And maybe a movie might even escape its pretentious track. Like It could. Label. I mean, like Fantasia did. Yeah. I mean, Fantasia's a work of art. Yeah. It's a very lofty, ambitious thing that... Over time, you know, it's, you know, some people might think, oh, it's like eating your vegetables, but <laughs> what if those vegetables are grilled and tasty? With and, olive oil and, and some Parmesan cheese put on top. There you go, in a sandwich. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that's the type of thing that, uh, I mean, the classic, the, the, the thing I always remember is uh, our friend Matt Rosen once had in an uh, article he wrote about how he hated the word overrated, where he had a little image of Hamlet. And the little bubble above him said, "Denmark is overrated." And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how do you how do you describe something as being that? Yeah, I think you know you can escape that label after a while. Like maybe even people who saw Racerhead when it first came out, they might have thought it was pretentious. But over time, that's been called a classic. Or, or Mulholland Drive. 
Yeah. Well, some people now, it might have been reversed. Some people loved Mulholland Drive when it came out and now say, oh, you're crazy. Like, I'm in a movie group on Facebook and I've professed how much, you know, I love Mulholland Drive. And then I get some people respond to me like, that movie's overrated, pretentious mess. I'm yeah. like, well, I'm going to tell you why I, it's there, not. And there's the double whammy. Overrated, pretentious. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I oh, you Imagine can having feel, that. You can feel that way about a movie, but it doesn't tell you anything about no, the movie. No, it doesn't. So, I mean, I feel like you need to, we uh, I th- should I think be more po- careful with the that. The point, uh, I think a, ba- a main point about this discussion that we're having is you could throw around this label, which I guess we were doing in a way when we were watching the trailers, um, but we have. But if you can express yourself well enough, if you can try to give better words, if you can try to give better reasoning for something, uh, then you can try to give whoever's listening an idea of why you're using that particular label. Yeah, if you can express yourself well enough, you don't need to say the word pretentious. Mm, that's even better. That's that's a thing to aspire to. You know, instead of telling us that Transmalik's movie is pretentious, tell us instead what it is doing that is making you feel not connected to it for a matter of speaking right all right so if you agree with us or want to give us other examples about uh films or pretentious films you feel are pretentious any of you pretentious film students out there listening to us who uh sorry (laughs) i I love you all i'm I'm just kidding i except you gerald oh i I kid gerald he's he's so great um if you want to give us any comments or suggestions about or you know picks you know email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com you could also find us on Facebook. Uh, face, uh, it's the Wages of Cinema podcast. Like our page and see us post things, which you may not get to experience while we're recording. Uh, we're also on Twitter uh, at Wages of Cinema. Find us like that. Also Instagram, we're ha- currently there as well. And uh, and yeah, give us some feedback if you would, because we could always uh, appreciate it and use it. Yeah. So. Um, Next week, uh, next time we're recording. Uh, oh, by the way, just as a note, um, uh, if you're listening to this now, I'm going to be following up on my cinema immersion tank uh, for this this week. Uh, I didn't quite get a chance to catch up with it just yet because life got a little bit busier than I expected. Um, so you will soon hear that episode uh, in the next day or two. Um, so keep it listen out for that. And uh, when we come back next time, we'll have topics on movies so you can rely on us yeah you can we're we're like the the end of that coming out of our shells tour concert we're the turtles you can count on us yep <laughs> that's that's exactly what i was thinking, that's my Jack. obscure reference of the night god I'm, I'm such a dork high five all right with that i'm jack i'm andrew and let's do it together the, the wages, wages of, of cinema, cinema is death, death. You have to just repeat it over and over again and you'll get Beetlejuice. Everything. Okay,